What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. News and Notes Edition. Sorry, I didn't have a podcast this week. I had some pretty serious audio issues, so it really prevented me from doing anything. But I got those figured out, and I'm going to do my usual News and Notes thing on the weekend. Happy Saturday to everyone listening to this on a Saturday. Um, just a couple news and notes things. I'm going to start with um, the NBA looking to eradicate uh, uh, load management. And in the second half, I'm going to talk about why homophobia is so hard to get rid of in sports in general, particularly male sports. But first, yes, Joe Dumars had a uh, conversation with uh, reporters this week, and uh, he made a very, very specific and very long um, plea to get back to the normalization, if you will, of 82 games. And I think if we're going to tackle this issue, we need to start at the root of where this began. And it began as an idea that was based in no analytics whatsoever. Um, this began with the San Antonio Spurs in about 2012, 11 or 12, where the Spurs uh, were pissed off very specifically greg popovich was pissed off at the league scheduling a national tv uh game on a back-to-back um against the miami heat so uh this whole thing originated at that very moment now the interesting thing about that this is obviously when david stern was commissioner uh rap and uh one of the things that Stern did, I believe, and I, I'm doing this off the top of my head, and anyone who's listening to this, you, know, you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe Stern's response to what uh, Popovich did in resting um, uh, Tim Duncan, Mono Ginobili, and Tony Parker, I mean, the Spurs ended up almost winning that game, by the way, was to uh, um, fine them, I believe, $500,000, the organization. I believe that was the uh, fine. So this is really the origin of quote-unquote load management. And what Popovich had been doing that year is that Tim Duncan, this was his 15th year in the league. And he made it another five years. But in Tim Duncan's 15th year, it was the organizational decision was made to to not to like not play him on certain back-to-backs, rest him a lot more, even though I don't think he rested as much as people think misremember he did he didn't rest that much but this was an organizational decision it was very much based on tim duncan okay it wasn't based on anyone else it was like tim duncan had lost a ton of weight uh he had gone to like a different diet and he had uh um, really slimmed down a lot and this thing had progressed to the point where he was like i said he was in his 15th year in the league then and uh the the spurs were like we got a preserve him and basically quote unquote load manage him because remember something the um by the time you get 2015 um this was past duncan's prime um you could argue that his prime basically ended in 2010 um if you're generous you could probably say 2009 was the end of peak duncan he was still good well, it was the end of peak Duncan. And by that point, remember, Duncan had gone to, uh, he, he came out of uh, Wake Forest in uh, 2000, or excuse me, in 1997. And so you get to 20, 20, 
12 he is 15 years in the league 15 years older and you know obviously they were trying to preserve him because everything that the spurs did regardless how of how great he was uh or wasn't was because of tim duncan he enabled everything to do to happen nothing greg popovich did or said or was allowed to do could have happened if Tim Duncan wasn't there, um, 100%. If it was still like David Robinson in the 90s, I'm guaranteeing you right now, Greg Popovich would not have been as effective. Tim Duncan allowed him to do what he did. And the Spurs knew this. So long story short, uh, this this whole era of load management begins with the Spurs basically extending a middle finger to David Stern in the NBA. That was it. But it was a very high-profile moment. It was a very high-profile thing that got um, the nerd department in uh, in both media and in uh, uh, NBA front offices who were analytics people were starting to infiltrate into uh, for, for for a lot largely for the better into NBA uh, front offices and analytics divisions were becoming more and more of a priority and it really started happening around 2010 and 11 and then it really picked up steam about 2012 13 and then uh hit its apex in the last five years so this was a moment where it was just it really was like an uh, the spurs trying to send a message to the league about scheduling a uh a game against the miami heat on a back-to-back that was it and it didn't happen again that year i mean it was it, this wasn't a this wasn't a situation that was going to keep perpetuating however as as time went on and and specifically by the time you get to the mid 2010s NBA front offices who had by this point been all in on analytics and this is every front office and making the nuggets, you know, anyone, uh, there's not a front office that doesn't have a, a, an analytics staff. Um, they went all in on load management because players began wearing these, uh, fitness vests, which were silly. And I don't think they use them anymore, but they started, they started wearing, I don't remember this was 2013 or 14. It was 13 when I first saw this thing and I thought it was silly. But in anyway, this is this is what was happening. And this was like the science, quote unquote, was that um, if you rested players, uh, if you load managed players and this began to get more and more prevalent, it didn't really hit its peak until 2018 to about last year, basically, Um so you're talking about a four-year period where there is just this in- insanity with load managing players. Um, if you talked to Nikola Jokic, you wouldn't want to get out. But this is this is not necessarily a player thing. Players like money, and they like they like the ability to still earn, and so do owners. That is based entirely what the entire model is based on is 82 games. So the NBA has tried to tinker with things. They expanded the uh, the All Star break. Um, it used to be much shorter than it is now, and now it's about nine days, nine to ten days, um, and it used to be like five. Uh, basically, it was the end of the week. What they they would take take a break on a Tuesday, and then they would come back on a Sun on a Monday. 
that was it was it and but now it's over a week the 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 ex- newly expanded schedule has allowed for this now there's going to be an in-season tournament um so this was all swirling but this was really a front office thing forget owners some of them were on board with this more of the uh hedge fund owner uh tech bro uh owners we're relying heavily on data that was saying that uh, players play better if they play let fewer games and got more rest. So, you know, obviously this expl- extends to and and then the an example was made of the Los Angeles Clippers, and I don't think that's necessarily fair. I think I think the uh, that Kawhi Leonard and the uh, and Paul George were. Uh, genuinely injured. These guys get injured. So I, I think making an example of them isn't necessarily fair, but it goes on in, to a ridiculous extent in other places. I remember it was about 2015 or so that uh, Steph Curry, the, uh, the 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 Warriors rested Steph Curry, and that is the one, that is the time when uh, there was a bunch of fans in Denver that complained about it, about him not playing. Now, the difference in a lot of this is that there's this quote from Jurassic Park is that your scientists uh, spent so much time thinking about what they, if they could, and they never stopped to contemplate why they should, or if they should, I should say. And the point of that is like, there may be good and, and uh, uh, you know, very, very um, based data that tells you that you should are more optimum if you rest which once again coming back this was only done for tim duncan back in the early 2010s so you are you 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 use this data to pro maybe you know it was essentially to prolong the career of tim duncan is what it was because it was by about 20 11 where Duncan I believe 2011 is when the Spurs lost in the first round of the Memphis Grizzlies and I think that that affected the way or was it 2012 it was one of those years but anyway that that affected the way that uh, uh, the Spurs were looking at the career of Tim Duncan and there was a legit panic within that organization about where we need him here so obviously that was what it led to so anyway the point I'm making about this is like is that that quote from Jurassic Park by <clears throat> Jeff Goldblum was 100% applicable to the situation. You could make a good argument that this is a well and truly a good thing to have, but if here's the sliding scale, if the league reduces games to 72, what's to stop people from playing resting players and only playing them 50? If the league resu- re- you know reduces all the way down to 66, what's to stop uh, organizations to from playing players only 40 games and make no mistake folks this is largely organization slash front office driven stuff the points that are being made aren't necessarily directed at players some of them are on board with this some of them aren't this is directed at uh at front offices who have so thoroughly jumped on the load management train that the product has suffered and it's suffered in ratings wise and it's suffered with p- the perception among fans rightfully so uh who wants to uh load up a tnt game and uh have none of the stars that uh, are there play um 
And it started becoming so bad, particularly, I think it reached its crescendo the last two years or so, that I think that the, 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 the league had to do something, which is why, you know, you have to play a certain amount of games in order to get um, all NBA awards and MVPs and stuff. Um, the league is drawing a line. Now, if David Stern was still alive and he was still commissioner, there would be hard lines drawn. Um, and he would have gone the opposite direction and none of this would be an issue. Some of this is an, Al an Adam Silver thing. And really this truly, this really picked up when Adam Silver became commissioner. You spent so much time <laughs> trying, you know, thinking about what you could and you didn't stop to think about what, if you should, this is 100% a, 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 and particularly what the way, you know, Joe Dumars talking about this is directly a shot at the, the nerds in the front office. Yes, it probably helps these players with rest, but it also makes the product worse. You have an 82 game schedule. You need to play as many of those 82 games as you can because the owners and the players do not want there to be fewer games and less money. That's not going to happen. If you reduce the amount of games, you reduce the amount of product you can sell, and you reduce the gate receipts, and you reduce uh, the TV money share. Every, all of it gets less, and not a single person who earns money in the NBA wants to get less. So rather than reducing the schedule, you have to encourage play, people to play more. Very specifically, have your stars play on national TV games. Um, I think it, it benefits the league and it benefits the product all around for more people to see its best players. And yes, we could talk about how the NFL is less games and therefore people have more of an opportunity to see these players. People get injured all the fucking time in the in, in NFL is less so prevalent, even though it happens in the NBA, but you know, everyone understands injuries. They don't understand rest and there are some times where you have good data and it leads you down the wrong path, right? And this is one of those things that people don't understand. You can have all the great data back you up about why you should go a certain direction. But there is the human element, which is you make things worse for people to watch if you go too far down that direction. And I don't think that uh, that people, particularly your average NBA viewer, buys the whole, well, the David backs this up thing. They just want to see their best, their favorite players and their favorite players play, you know, an 82 game schedule. They don't want to hear about them playing 60, 62. They don't want to hear about them playing 59 if there's not injuries involved. You know, that's the fact of life and it gets worse and it just starts affecting your money if you don't see these players play because the NBA is based on stars. So that is a simple explanation for that. And uh, I'm so fully in support of this and the NBA is going to begin cracking down hard. And I do believe this is going to be something that they are very committed to. And uh, well, let's see how they go from there. All right. In the second half of the podcast, I'm going to talk about homophobia in sports and why it's so hard to eradicate. Uh, I hope you stick around for the second half of the podcast. But first, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th, and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown. 
Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They got a location in Fort Collins. They got uh, a tasting area in uh, in Golden. They got, obviously, their lower downtown location. And they got the, lo- the original location in Sonoma County, California, where most of their wine is made. Um, their Pinot is great. Their Cabernet is very, very good. Um, and, of course, I'm like, I like reds, but there's collections of uh, whites and uh uh, rosés and all of those are also great as well. Uh, one of the great things about the Dairy Block location is it's just a such a great location. It's a chill vibe to just kind of go downtown. If you're like going uh, going to one of the restaurants downtown, just you can all you it's a short jaunt to make it to the Dairy Block and just chill out and have fun in the alley. Uh, and it's uh, really one of the greatest vibes in Denver. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. Homophobia in sports is hard to uh, get rid of. And I have wrestled with... It's particularly male sports. And I'm going to concentrate on that because on my experience with female uh, on sports, female based sports is is limited. So I'm not I can't speak to that, but I can speak to what I personally covered and what I have seen. Um, there is a dynamic at play as you know, as someone who is gay, I did see I have seen my share of why the why that it's hard and it begins with a mentality centered around the male ego. Um, I never felt comfortable enough to let players in the locker room know that I was gay. Um, I would never bring it up. It's not my job. But I was, I would be lying to you if I didn't say I was a little nervous about what players would think. You know, I don't know them. I don't, I don't know anything about them. I don't know how they react, but it made me nervous. And largely that is because of the locker room dynamic in the NBA or any sports league uh, is is different from most any other things. It's normal. It's it's not like a bunker or anything like that. It's not like anything that severe, but there is this close knit thing that goes into that. And some of it is like I said. There's male ego in all sports. If you get to a certain point, all athletes have enormous egos, and you have to have that in order to succeed at a high level in sports where you have to achieve. You're constantly achieving, you know. You're taught from the, a, a, a young age that you have to achieve. There's, you, it, and it's like it, once you get to these achievements, it is hard not for the ego to explode. And also part of the male ego is to have intrinsically thinking that everyone thinks you're hot or everyone thinks that you, someone's looking at you. And this is where the dynamic gets muddled. And this is why it makes it hard for there to be freedom in, uh, in NBA locker rooms to be openly gay. And it sucks. You can't remove that. I mean, I, 
I don't think it's even, you know, I can't look at anyone's heart and know exactly what they're thinking, but I can tell you from, from just there, the vibe is that it's so testosterone and, uh, just like this, this, just this ego part of being in sports that it's hard to remove that element from it. And I think a lot of these guys, when they get out of the locker room, kind of dynamic and less a part of this close knit bunker thing that they, that they have, they get actually a little more perspective on life and they get less attached to the concept of people always admiring you. And the reason I bring this up is that the NHL, for whatever reason, decided to remove ban all statements. And this includes rainbow tape. And this is largely because of some reactions that were to some players. I mean, I know nothing about hockey, so this is me doing some research. Some players opted out of pride things on jerseys and... There was some blowback to them and the NHL, rather than just trying to get people to accept things, went the opposite direction and banned everything. And I'm not going to speak to the NHL. I know nothing about hockey. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to comment on a sport that I don't watch. The only thing I can do is comment on the what I have seen personally, and I'm not going to reveal anything here. This is not going to be anything earth shaking. I can give you an interpretation of what I've, of what I feel. Um, many years ago, you know, and I wrote an article about this on medium about how I, I kind of lost my love of the Denver nuggets. And it was due to the Nicole Jokic, no homo thing, which really wasn't about him as so far as, it made me realize that there wasn't a single person, be them on the Nuggets, be them, be they in the Nuggets locker room, be they anywhere else, could understand exactly the way I felt in that moment. I've gone through pains to say that Nikola Jokic did not. He, he was making a bad joke. He was making a bad joke. I don't, I don't think he even thinks about things that way. He was just making a bad joke and he was making a bad joke because it's locker room talk and it's, it's what the way you get into these bunker driven things when you're surrounded like a bunch of, you know, presumably straight men. And obviously it's not something that he would normally repeat. It is just a thing that happened. That's the way I look into Jokic, but it, what it did was made me realize how alone I was. And that really sucked all my enjoyment out of covering the team. I was already doing it for free. And this made it even less like it basically was almost the death knell for me and my enjoyment of watching basketball and covering it. And I was really went through a bad period there. And if people notice, this is when I retreated almost completely from uh, active covering of the Denver Nuggets. I stopped writing about them. I stopped doing all of that because I just, I started to not care. And then I think about athletes who might be gay and are closeted, how they feel having to keep it, having to keep it secret. 
because the there there's mostly straight people in locker rooms and there's this default to if you're gay you must be checking me out which is something that you don't people people don't understand the dynamic of doing your job <laughs> and if you're a default assumption is that some guy's getting a raging hard on because he's looking at me first of all you are assuming that that person finds you attractive and you're his type so right in there is a stereotype second of all that's a really egocentric assumption and i can tell you for 100% fact this just it's not even male straight male athletes who think this way it's it's i think it's even gay male athletes have this ego part of that because it's the way they they are brought up it's the way they came come up through uh uh their their journey through sports is exactly what happens so there's this assumption that you must be secretly finding me attractive and how do you if you were a someone who is a like me who was gay and covered Denver Nuggets or if you are a closeted male athlete how do you overcome that assumption you could tell someone as until you are blue in the face that no I don't find you attractive I'm not secretly jerking off to you you could tell them that you're blue in the face but that is not something that will ever penetrate their brains in the locker room. Now, down the line, when they're no longer in uh, this situation, they'll, there's a very good chance to look at it and say, well, I was being a, an idiot. And there's also the, this implication that someone is lying to you, which is something that I really found is a, is a dynamic that I never considered personally. I never considered this this implication that that if you are closeted, you come into into a locker room and you and you get either a found out or b um, you come out. There's this there's this weird quasi assumption that they you had been lying to people this whole time. You've been lying to me, which is kind of below the surface. There's a lot of different things that 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 kind of go into this thought process and it's complicated and that's why it's hard to get rid of people have asked me what the solution is to to this sort of thing and i and i don't have one it's hard to get rid of it's hard it is hard to to get away from the close-knitness especially in nba locker rooms of of those things and the the the, the testosterone and but if you don't think gay males have testosterone and, and aren't wanting aren't as competitive as everyone else you are you are sorely mistaken um it is it is you need to have that ego you need to have that drive in order to succeed at a very high level I don't necessarily think it's ever an ideology thing because I don't think I, I don't think the let's let's call them morons who uh, um, populate um, the fort site normally known or uh, used to be known as Twitter who are like you know I don't want this agenda shoved down my throat you know my me and my wife didn't raise our kids it, none of that none of that is prevalent in real life real life isn't like that. People are, especially when you be, become adults, it's less about that. 
And it's not anything that factors into these situations. It's largely due to ego. And, and, and the male ego and the human ego is hard to get away from. And I don't know if there's a solution for it. I'll be honest with you. I, I even at the times I have gone down to Pepsi Center, or excuse me, Ball Arena, um, and uh, I haven't gone in the locker room. I, I, I talk to people outside. Um, and one of the reasons I don't do it anymore is because I don't ever feel like this is something that's going to change. And it's not done. It's not malicious. It is just a scenario that y you would have to have a, a, a wholesale change in many different mental approaches in order to make it different, you know, and the NHL and what they did, it was based in complete incompetence. And uh, that's the only thing you can think is that it was, it, it, it rather than solve the problem, they chose not to. And that's what banning all evidences of, of all scenarios of other things like that really really entails is that there there is no there was no real attempt to solve the problem that didn't this was like hiding your head in the sand it had nothing to do with the locker room you know in in baseball it's it's a lot of the players in baseball are very conservative so obviously this is going to be different for them um i you know i can't speak to uh, baseball, I mean, in NFL locker rooms, and it's like raging testosterone, you know, and here's something that I want to tell people is that, is that there is a, just due to percentage, and if any athletes listening to this, due to percentages, there is a very good chance you have played with a closeted man. Think about that. Just due to the percentage of the population just doing basic math, there's a very good chance that you have. Think about how you have treated them while you've been in the locker room. Think about how they feel unsafe. And think about why they would have to not say anything. The whole thing about don't tell me about it is based in I don't want to know I don't want to know. It's not even a bedroom thing. It is a immediately thinking, oh, God, this person's been checking me out, which is incredibly egocentric. And it uh, obviously is part of a need and a culture that permeates all athletes, male athletes, because you have to have this to get to a certain level. But think about these people who also have that need and drive and uh, don't exactly feel safe around you and don't feel safe about um, telling you these things, you know, and it doesn't matter to most um, male athletes right now, but it will later. And you find, and you find it very, I find it very interesting to see how athletes will kind of change their point of view once they're no longer in the bunker. Once they're no longer deep in it, they have a little more perspective. You know, kind of, what is that forest for the trees um, expression? Once they get away from it, they think about it and they they soften their stance because they're no longer in that locker room bunker situation. 
you know. But as far as making things 100% safe for everyone, I don't I don't know how you solve that problem because it's been this long and there tends to be such blowback to it that it's just how do you how you how do you solve that sort of thing? You can't force guys to be less less driven and less less assuming that everyone's looking at them. It's just you can't. And it's something that you need in order to succeed as an athlete. And it sucks. It sucks for people like me who really lost their desire to be there day to day. So, all right, folks, thank you all for joining me in the latest uh, Mordcast. I'll be back soon. Well, hopefully uh, sooner than this last week. I apologize for that. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.